All right, hey guys, and welcome to the, the Three Drinks In podcast, episode number 266. I'm your host, Vince. Over there is your host, Phil. Hey. There he is. In this episode, we are talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is a long title, I just realized. Uh, but before we get started, we want to please ask you to subscribe to the podcasts on any of the streaming services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Make sure that you leave us a five-star rating and maybe even a review. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 3 Drinks in Pod. I think you can also follow us on Threads now at 3 Drinks in Pod. Uh, you can like us on Facebook and you can email us at 3 Drinks in Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, last of all, don't forget to, to check out our merchandise over at tpublic.com. So, have you set up your Threads account? No. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they made it very easy. You just—it was literally like one button, and like boom, you have a Threads account. Mm. And I'm like, oh, well, it's just the same thing as Instagram in terms of like who is following me or who I am following. I just. You just hit add all, and it just, you know, so for like two days, I, I spent the time going confirm, confirm, confirm for all the people <laughs> who, who I had added in that one click of a button and then mm. who wanted to add me back. I don't know, but I, uh, yeah, it's too much of the time anymore. <laughs> well, I find it funny, like, oh, this is so much better than Twitter. It's exactly the same as Twitter. I don't see as much vile nonsense on it, and I imagine they have like a similar ban on like pornography that Facebook does, which is a welcome breath of fresh air because I don't need to see all that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I was like, "Oh, this is great!" And then I'm like, "You guys, just give it time. <laughs> like, it's everything devolves. It doesn't get better." Yeah, we'll screw it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, we. <laughs> I am not worried about that at all. That is yeah. going to happen. I got um, I got dressed down by students or kids again the other day. What do you mean you don't have a Snapchat? How do you communicate with people? With words, talking, text messaging, emails, faxes? I don't know. I just don't have a Snapchat. <laughs> do you guys have LinkedIn? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, like, my uh, GeoCities Snap- account, you know. <laughs> Snapchat, I... It's the one I, I like. I tried to f- figure it out, and I e- instantly gave up. And is it basically just like you send people video messages, or Pictures you send them videos. out to like you broadcast just to your followers, just to just to both? Okay, so you can send it to people you know, or you can send it to the people who follow you, and you can only watch them once. Eh, that's not and true. Then, and then they can. Well, I know, but that's the idea. And then you can. Um. So like, people just send them to them. Like, well, I'm gonna make a little video and then send it right back to you. You know, we're talking like three seconds, but like that's so much work. Just just send me a text if you need me. Also, I don't want to talk to anybody. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's don't it's, talk to me. It's one of those things. Like, well, gee, you know, why would I leave a voicemail? That like a voicemail. It, that, that's just built into the end of the phone call when nobody answers. A Snapchat, you have to make a lot of effort to create. Right. And uh, that's why I'm like, you know, like Apple came out with this thing that, that's going to show up in the next version of their um, iOS where <laughs> you can, if you if you get a call from somebody and you miss it or you send it to voicemail, it will in real time 
transcribe the voicemail that person is leaving you, and you can see it on your screen. And if you decide in the middle of that voicemail, going, oh, wait, no, this is important. I'm going to actually answer it. You can then answer the phone and interrupt the person's message. And I was thinking about that, like, oh, that's kind of clever. And then as, then the guy who was explaining this to me in the video I, 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 that, that, that I was watching was like, kind of like when I was young and like you, you let the phone go to the answering machine and then realize, oh, no, this is important. I'm like, oh, my God. It is. The, it's the digital version of that, which yeah, kind of was hilarious. It's, it's, it's letting the machine get it. Yeah, which let is an expression machine. you don't hear anymore. No, let the machine it's get it. Yeah, just let the machine get it. And then like as you listen to the message, you can be like, oh my God, I need this. Or, you know. <laughs> Your dog has died. I'm really sorry. I should pick up the yeah. phone now. You left mom at the airport three days ago. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no. So yeah, I, I just thought it was funny. Like they were bringing that feature. I'm like, oh, wow, that's, it's such an old, I mean, it's useful, but in a culture that, I believe irrationally despises the voicemail message. You know, it seemed like an odd thing for Apple to to, to you know put up as has a new feature on the phone. But I'm like, okay, it's good for some uh, yeah. people, I guess. I was the voicemail the other day. It was just very easy. <laughs> yeah, the problem is. Well, like that, and like when people when when, when I'll call someone, um, I'm not going to mention who, and. I won't like I won't be with them. That's why I called them on the phone and they, they they will either answer the phone angrily and say why are you calling me? You know I'm here. Or they will send a, send a a text back going, "Uh I'm doing something. What are you like why are you calling me?" I'm like well, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not with you. That's why I had to use the telephone. And like people are annoyed that you've called. And I'm like, I think we've we've lost the point of technology once you once you get angry over people using it in the exact manner that it was intended to be used. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> That's why I called. Why don't you just tell me the name of the movie you want to see? <laughs> like if I knew you were juggling chainsaws, no, I probably wouldn't have attempted to distract you from that. It seems like a test that would require a lot of focus. Yeah, I I don't know. But speaking of technology that's taking over the universe. Yes. Segway and a half there, sir. Um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Part one. Part one. Which I think they they learned from Dune to put that up up front as to not annoy their fan base. Yeah, right I appreciated away. that. Yeah. Yeah. That was because that's like it's like you know, when you, like like you're watching Star Trek years ago, and it's like seven fifty-two, and you go, "Well, like, we are about, I don't know, a third of the way through this story. There's no way they're gonna wrap this up in eight minutes." And we were mm-hmm. right. And then, you know, now that's like a thing you want. Like you you want a long story, but back then it was like I gotta block off next week, no matter what, just to see the end of this. It was a it was a chore. At least it was only a week. True. This is what, like a year we're getting the next yeah, one? It's about a year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I'm not as broken up about that as, as maybe some other people might have been. So. I mean, I mean, it doesn't, it's a year is better than not knowing when. Are you listening, getting, like, George R.R. R. Martin? Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> like 
like I remember when the Lord of the Rings came out and that was really the first set of movies that they were like, you know, we're, we're making three and they're coming out, but you're only going to have to wait a year. And everyone was like, Oh no, a whole year. But when you had just sequels and at a time, they would take three, four, sometimes longer than that years between, yeah. you know, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire and Spider-Man two, you know, there's like three years in between. And I know it takes a long time to make a movie, but, that's that's a long time to to have a big gap in your storytelling so uh, and also i appreciate with this it's like hey just wait one more year we'll be done yeah i mean that that is preferable to the whole because like you know believe it or not tom cruise cruise is not actually ageless he will die at some point they will run out of placenta or whatever he eats and he's gonna have to you know contend with father time right um, but, uh, so yeah, it's better than there being like three years, you know, like then if you, ha- if you, like, if you cast kids, then all of a sudden your kids are now like your, like the Harry Potter films, like they, they were, they were pretty quick, but it did take a long time. They, they got pretty much into like, you know, middle age before they ended those movies. Yeah. I mean, those kids were in their early twenties or something. Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, what did you think of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One? <laughs> um, I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, um, and like, I look, I did what Tom Cruise told me to do. I bought <laughs> so a it's ticket. It's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I bought a ticket to an IMAX movie. And then I watched all the TikTok and YouTube videos telling me why there are only about 100 IMAX theaters in the world. And the closest one to me, which is not very far away, is at Lincoln Center in Manhattan, where they have an actual IMAX theater. And then everything else is like IMAX light or whatever. It's not quite... So you went to Manhattan to see this? I did not, no. Uh uh, I've got a window... with these, with these films being three hours long between this and Oppenheimer, which I'm doing on Friday, I only have a small window between when I drop off my kids at camp and when I have to pick them up from camp. And that w- that window accommodates a three-hour run time, a half an hour of uh, trailers, and like a 50-minute drive total, like 25 minutes there, 25 minutes back. So... You know, I, I can't possibly justify going all the way down to Manhattan just to see <laughs> Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, so, but no, but I, I did what Tom Cruise said. And I, I do like the IMAX theater that's near me. The sound in there is really good. And it's not like my theater nearby is an AMC. It has a Dolby theater and it has a IMAX theater. I have seen movies in both. I think you and I saw... The last James Bond in the Dolby Theater mm. at this place, and um, it's oh, good. Oh yeah, that place. That's yeah. a good place. It's loud more than it is good. I saw Dune in IMAX there, and for me, like the soundscape of Dune was really important. And so, like the the first thing that happens in that movie is it's a blank screen, and then you hear those those that alien language. And the subtitles are on the screen. And, like, that sounded so cool in that theater. I didn't see it in the Dolby, but I, you know, I 
I get more like interesting and dynamic sound in there than I get just loud sound in there. So, um, but I I did I paid, although discounted because it was like eleven a.m. But I you know I, I paid extra for you know for the IMAX and I I don't know I thought I felt that there were a lot of cool things about the movie, but it felt very much like it was set piece and talking and set piece and talking and like that's not too dissimilar from a lot of action films these days but it really felt like there wasn't a whole lot of story to be told here and so the fact that they had a lot of running around juxtaposed with a lot of you know explaining why they're running around or explaining the gravity of why they're running around and then more running around. It just, I don't know. Like there's just not enough story here to, 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 to justify two movies. I was at times unclear as to what was going on. I'm not sure where it, like, like I think Carrie Elways tries to explain to you the point of the movie at the end. I don't understand the reason why we need a connection to Tom Cruise's past life out of nowhere just to bring back a character we didn't really know anything about and who was apparently really important to Tom Cruise. And I have no connection to this guy. Like, I've never seen him before. And, you know, they're trying to manufacture a lot of, like, backstory for a character that, I don't know, I kind of appreciated that he didn't really have a backstory. Like, it's one of those things that they, they do it in a lot of these movies now. Like, you know, some kind of ne'er-do-well um, gets a second chance when some super-secret government agency recognizes their skills and and recruits them. Like, that's... I mean, that's not how this movie series began. He was just a really, really good, like, hyper-capable agent who was set up and wants revenge, and he goes about doing it in the most clever way possible. And that, that was enough for me. I didn't really need to know all about him. His, his, his actions determined his, you know, his character in terms of his loyalty and intensity and you know, devotion to, to the mission. And, and over time, what they did with him was they really... They did an interesting thing with Ethan Hunt in that they made him not James Bond in the... I think the most interesting way possible is that they pulled all the sex out of it. Like James Bond has all this sex in all in all in all his movies, and every woman he meets, you know, is a potential love interest. That's not happening with with this character. It just doesn't. It's not. A, it, it, it's 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 not a feature of it. What they did, starting with Ghost Protocol, and also, and, and, I mean. The Ving Rhames' character is carried in, you know, he's just so he's just he's just so likable. But like starting with 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 Ghost Protocol, it's made it about like, you know, the Scooby Gang. It's just these like you know little adorable band of, you know, not quite ne'er do wells, but like you know, sort of like, you know, the hyper competent yet socially inept people that all you know like you know have such intense loyalty to the United States of America and to their own moral code. And they've made, you know, like the Tom Cruise thing, really not about girls and sex and inner demons, but about friendship and loyalty and doing the right thing and making sure 
everyone comes home alive. Mm-hmm. And to throw in at the at the end here, oh, and by the way, he used to be a really bad guy. I'm like that was the plot of the Gray Man, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, you know, like this was this is not a new thing, but it's a new thing for this movie series, and it didn't do it any favors. It kind it kind of gave you the whole setup with the girl, you know, the former Agent Carter uh, character. And it was just like, well, she was a bad guy, but we we recruited her. But I didn't really buy that here because we didn't get to know her character first. We see her kind of on the job, kind of running away, looking kind of inept. Like, and that leads me down a, a rabbit hole of like, well, what was going on in this film exactly? Because <laughs> it was never, to me overtly obvious what what was going on and even though even though these films are good about kind of tricking the audience into doing one thing or the other you still kind of know what the point of it all is and here i was never quite sure what the point of it all was and they muddied it by doing all these sort of retconning of the characters oh i thought it was i thought it was thumpingly obvious what the plot of the movie was i guess so i just i kind of thought like it's like in the <laughs> So I think the most obvious plot of all seven is number two because they literally just say, it can't be that simple. And he goes, can't it? You know, we have the the virus that's red and the antidote that's green and we have to get them both. Otherwise, everyone's going to die. Like that was super duper clear. This was clear, I guess, but they were like, who created the entity? The entity is not a person. He's the... Little like you know that that like Spencer gifts window thing with like the the, the <laughs> like the 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 electrostatic ball that you put your hands on. Yeah. It's a bit like the digital version of that is what I took to be, and like where did it come from, and why was there a Russian submarine, and like I am still unclear on that. Could you explain that to me <laughs> right now? Because I I think um, I got it, but like. I think I might have been making it more complicated than it was in my head. <laughs> I only got confused at the end when Carrie Elways was explaining it again. And it was that they, they developed this computer program. Who's they? I don't know. <laughs> okay. So someone has developed a computer program. I think it was, I think in the end, ultimately, it was the Americans who did that. Of course. And they gave it out to everyone purposefully so that it could suck up data. And the Russians had it and were using it militarily. And the Russians thought that they had a a handle on it. But the program became self-aware and decided that it was going to do whatever it wanted to do. And because you see the opening scene of the movie with the submarine and the the data is in this like giant circular core with a lock and key, and it has two pieces of a key that you have to put together. All of the characters realize that whoever can control a computer program that powerful can basically do whatever they want. Or you could destroy it, which is what Tom Cruise's character thinks this should be done. Because no one should have that kind of power. It's just it's just ridiculous. And so they spend the whole two and three hour movie chasing after the pieces of the key that are correct. Like, mm-hmm. you know, his, his old 
apartment. The British woman has one of the keys and they're trying to find out who has the other one by like various buyers and whatever, what have you. Okay. And the only other thing they keep saying is we don't know what the key goes to. We just know it's really, really important. And you're supposed to sort of guess because... Because like, like we know what the key goes to. Well, we go, you know, it goes to that thing in the sub. Right. But what it does exactly, I mean, I'm not exactly sure what it does. I just assume it could control the thing. You could just flick the switch and turn it off. Yeah, it's like the failsafe. Like it's the it's the, right. the only physical aspect of this machine that like, you know, can't be, or I don't know, like if, if it can't rewrite that part of its own code. Right, like it originates from one spot. Yeah. You know, like this, it's like the source code, they say at one point, Bing, Bing Rames is like, oh, the source code. Because the rest of it is out on the internet, but it, it originates from some, from some mainframe somewhere. So like so we know that goes to the sub. And it's like, and, and the thing in the sub is broadcasting the code? Right. The thing oh. in the sub is, is sending the code all over the world. Okay. And, can, and, and it can manipulate data. So, so n- n- now uh, I have some questions. <laughs> the The sub was destroyed, though. and it, It's supposed to be operational, I guess, because it's a nuclear-powered submarine, and the right, like it sank, but it's still, it's not like blown into smithereens. It's fine. Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess you would if you were going to, if you were on a ship, and you want to hide on the ship indefinitely at the bottom of the ocean you would destroy only enough of the of your, of your own ship to do that <clears throat> okay <laughs> yeah and and i'm assuming that's what the computer thing did yeah because it knew that it was going to be really really hard to find and so the que- the question that the characters have is what's the key go to who's working for whom you know, what does each person want to do with the key when they get it? Right. And that just becomes, the, it's one long chasing. Basically, yeah. And it, and so, yeah, that, that was, like, it was, you run here, and then you run there, and then you're in all these exotic locations, and I, um, <laughs> I appreciate the return of Eugene What's-His-Face as Kittredge. Yeah, uh, that was a little odd. I didn't mind that. He, you know, he's a very good actor. You know, he's one of these just you know Hollywood character actors that have been around forever and have like nine thousand IMDb credits. I um, I don't think Carrie Elways is a good actor. Do you? I didn't know that was Carrie Elways. Yeah, until he said something with his accent, and his accent slipped out. And I went, oh, that's Carrie Elways. <laughs> yeah. Like, it took me a minute. Like, I guess he was good in The Princess Bride, which is, to, in, in my opinion, a fun but very overrated movie. Um, And I guess he was good in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, or uh, Men in Tights, rather. But, like, I haven't he's, seen him in much else, but everything everything else is like, yeah, no, he's okay. Like he's, he's okay. Over the top and dramatic in both this, for Christ's sakes, and like Twister, when he plays like, you know, generic, you know, foil bad guy to Bill Paxton. Um 
and like I, I didn't see Saw because I like myself, and um, I, I believe he, he he plays him and Danny Glover. I think are in that movie, right? Yeah, he's like the main guy in that. Yeah, what's what's the I premise? Mean, he has to saw his own arm off or something like that. Yeah, but he's but he's barely in this movie. Right, but whenever he is, he's just chewing the scenery. I mean, oh, oh. my god! I mean, that I mean, they that all kind of are. Oh, they all. Oh, it's really bad here. Like that. That to me was the thing about it. Where I was, when they start to describe, you know, who Ethan Hunt is or who the IMF is, and like, it, like th- that. That part to me was really dumb. Like you have the same actor, the same producer, the same writer and director, and. In a previous movie, you had a whole thing about how Alec Baldwin was the CIA director, and then he becomes the IMF director, and the IMF is just another one of the American organizations that we have. It's I guess it goes alongside the CIA and the NSA, whatever else it is, and like it's just another one of these agencies. But they're they're where the really crazy people go to who do the insane stuff. We don't we don't even know what's going on there. And so, like, that's that's how they've been set up as an, as an organization over the last seven movies. And now they talk about them in this movie like they don't know who they are. Like, we just leave word and somebody will take care of our problems. For No, you don't. You had an entire two, three, four, five scenes in the last two films where they're in like a Senate Oversight Committee meeting and they're talking about it just very openly, like everyone knows about the IMF. But here they had a whole scene about like how the CIA director didn't know who they were? Yeah, I'm not sure what that's about. Yeah, it was very, very strange. So So, that, yeah, like so that I thought was very odd. And you're right, like this it was always assumed that these people, uh, you know, the secret agents and they do the crazy gadgets and the missions and the missions are that they probably won't come back from. And even if you do get out alive, but you get caught, we'll pretend we don't know you. So you were making a really big sacrifice to go on these missions. And you're right. Then they, they sort of switched it up and retconned it so that all of them, you know, only had, there was their only choice it was this or get thrown in jail or be killed or like be live a miserable life. And I was like, you can't do that for everybody. Not everyone can do this because otherwise you have a suicide squad situation. Yeah. In which case three quarters of the team is going to try to escape the minute you let them out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like you could go to jail or you can work for us. And they go, okay. And as soon as you drop them off somewhere, they go, see ya. And they don't come back why would they do this? Where does this blind, unwavering loyalty come from? And then they say, well, they don't always follow orders. Sometimes they just do what's right. Like, But they don't know what's right. That's why they were about to go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> they were doing things that were wrong. So why are we suddenly trusting them with a newfound sense of morality? I think, it, I think this comes from a writer's point of view of a, I mean, this is an old TV show. This concept is, is is not new. And I don't want to call it antiquated, but it kind of is. That kind of... Like, you think about when they remade Superman. Superman Returns. And you have the scene with Frank Langella, who 
playing Perry. What's his name? Perry. It's not Perry Mason. Um, Perry White. <laughs> Perry Mason is a different he's guy. Another, you know, out of time guy. You're right. Yeah. Um, and you know, he's he's they're in they're in the bullpen. He's like, does he the the does he still strength because like Superman's been gone? He comes back for, after being away for a while. For those of you who haven't seen it, and White goes, does he still stand for truth, justice, all that stuff? Like he doesn't. They don't want to say the American way. Like they don't want to talk about loyalty and 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 action as it relates to any sense of nationalism with the United States. And so, whereas. We didn't really understand, or really, we, sorry, we weren't really told the backstories of all these characters that we've, we've, we've been meeting over the last 25 years. But we, you know, we just kind of assumed, well, they work for the U.S. government and they believe in, you know, the U.S. government and the American way and all the things that, you know, that, you know, those, those are the things that inform their own moral code and their and their moral compass and yeah they have to go rogue sometimes when the people who are in charge of the u.s government are doing what they perceive to be you know the wrong thing because they're they're more pure than the politicians who are in charge um but you know it's the organization that shapes the um the agent not the other way around. And now they're saying, no, it's the agent who shapes the organization. And this is something that people who write about politics and um, human behavior and sociology say is a big problem in our society, is that people will enter into relationships with organizations not for the purpose of being informed by that organization, but for the purpose of changing it to suit them. Think of Reggie Jackson when he came to the to the New York Yankees in 1977-78. Um, he said, I didn't come to New York to be a star. I brought my star to New York. And that was very much an antithetical way for the, you know, to, to think about yourself as a Yankee. At the time, the Yankees were the organization. If you were lucky enough to be part of that organization, that meant that you were, you know, willing to kind of like be molded by that organization. And then Jackson, who, you know, was not long for the team and wasn't a great fit, even though he had a one great fucking game in October. Um, you know, like, he didn't last long for that reason. He didn't get along with people. And so this weird sort of retconning of these characters, I think, is in line with our general, you know, as a popular culture, our uncomfortableness, Hollywood's uncomfortableness with... You know, using the, the you know the U.S. as a lodestar for you know what is right and what is wrong. Well, it just it just seems odd as well for this because now you're on the seventh film, and he's already been disavowed and gone rogue like three or four times. So it's like now he now you're telling me it's okay that he can do whatever he wants. We had a whole movie where they just chased him for two and a half hours for yeah. doing whatever he wanted. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. And then you kind of forget about it because he just goes on and does whatever he wants to anyway. Like it's sort of just business as usual. Yeah. Like all the all the scenes are very much, you're right, they're either running and chasing and shooting or they're sitting around talking about what they've been doing the last hour. 
like I found the talking scenes to go on way too long. Yeah. Let's talk about this key. Okay, let's talk about it. 10 minutes later and they're still talking and the soundtrack is still just blaring the same note at you. I'm like, you can't sustain tension like this in a conversation for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, if you're going to have a revelation, it's got to come quick. But we're just we're just talking, we're just hashing it out. I was like, this is not that complicated. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're trying to to wring drama and and things out of these conversations. I was like, oh, this is just. At that point, it, it was you were like begging to watch another chase scene. <laughs> you know? For God's sake, somebody throw a pie! Right, I was just like, I don't know what we're doing here. We all know this key is important. Are we just going to start strangling each other? Like, why are we standing around waiting? <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, the truth of the matter is, this movie was two and a half hours long. Do you think the next one is going to be an hour and a half long? No, it's going to be another. So you made a five-hour movie? Seriously? Like you made a five-hour movie? Why? Well, also, th- this one doesn't end on a cliffhanger. So I don't know what the next one's supposed to be dealing with. Well, I'm for the submarine, but yeah, that's the, well, that's the, they're, they're, they're going to go now. They have the MacGuffin and they have to go put the MacGuffin in the other MacGuffin <laughs> and stop it from blowing up the world like that. Like that. I didn't really mind that in a way. I don't know. Like, I think I minded it because I sort of like if you know, it's a part one of two, then. Yeah, I guess ending it on a cliffhanger is probably your best bet, you know, structurally. You know, I was—I forget what I was watching, or I had a podcast on the other day. They—they were, they were talking about like, is there has there ever been any sort of really successful like surprise cliffhanger movies? And someone said that The Empire Strikes Back is about the only one where like. It's a cliffhanger, but it's also so unbelievably satisfying that you know it. It sort of it's like there really hasn't been. An, I can't think of what movie this was being brought up in context of, like if it was Dune or something else. But like I thought about that, I'm like, yeah, that's true because you get the you know the, the tremendous you know revelation as to who Darth Vader really is. You get. And act, you know, you get your main character losing his arm, and you get your other like secondary character in in Han Solo, effectively not not being killed, but almost being killed, and his future left left kind of um, ambiguous, like what's going to happen to him. So like, there was a lot of stuff that happened. There was a resolution in the sense that like Luke gets a new arm, and we're going to go and get our friend back and we have like this is the thing we're doing next and so like that worked as a surprise because you know you didn't know it was it was going to be like only the you know the second of three movies and so like it was it was very satisfying even though you didn't get a real you know whole story whole story um uh, wrap up here, because you know you're going into a part one of two, I think you kind of do need a bit more of a cliffhanger, don't you? I think you're right. I, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Wouldn't if you're, hurt. If you're, just, if you're telling one big story, it's basically... Because look, at we just saw the Spider-Verse sequel. 
that ends definitely on a cliffhanger. Like it just stopped. Oh, it might have been that they were talking about. Now that I think about it, yeah, yeah. it was, it and, was, yeah, yeah. You know, and like if you're gonna make a movie like that, then you you need to pick a spot that is where either a sequence of events is over, which is what they do here, or you have some sort of emotional climax where you can like, okay, now let's take a breather, which is what they do. I think of like the two towers with the Lord of the Rings, where they were like we. When you look at the behind the scenes on that, they had a hell of a time trying to figure out where to stop that movie. And they were basically, because they were basically like, it just stops. And then just the movie just keeps going into the next film. So they they made up an emotional climax. That stuff is not in the book where they're like, and then we got together and we were all celebrating and we were happy and we were forging forwards. Like all that stuff is not in the book. But they were like, we needed that because otherwise the movie just ended. And it's like, see you next year, which is how Spider-Verse felt where it was like, and, and now there's this thing Dum, dum, dum. I'm like, oh, okay. Whereas at least with this one, it's like, we have the thing we need. Now we need the other thing that we need. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was fine. And they tried to do an emotional thing with Haley Atwell's character where she was just a thief and he, you know, she was trying to live the high life because that was all she was good at. But she got in too deep and she got, you know, her life was ruined, so he says, you can work with us, and we we can help and save you, and you can trust us no matter what. Like She never had anyone to trust. She was always by herself. And that's supposed to be her thing, that she's now given herself over to having friends that will help her. Okay. Uh, it was it was enough where I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, Between all the talking and the shooting and stuff. So... I didn't. I didn't hate this movie. There were no. there were those those questionable decisions. I was like, oh, I don't really like that stuff with this story. Um, and it is certainly too long. I don't know if it could have been one movie because I don't know what the other half is going to be. But this movie didn't need to be almost three hours either. You know. I guess this that, is his swan his swan song. So he wanted it to be like. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Um. I mean, like, because I was watching, like, that car chase, that car chase in Venice, went on forever. I know. I was like, how long does this have to be? Venice is not that big. No, <laughs> and, it, and it was a car chase. Like, there was no wa- waterways in that scene. I'm like, well, that's a quarter of the city too. Is yeah. It, it really went on and on, and so it. I don't think it had to be quite that, quite that long. But there were things that I really did like. Such as, I I didn't read anything about this movie before I went into it. I didn't know that that an AI was going to be the villain or what have you. <laughs> yeah. you Prescient, know? right? That that came out really, uh, really well, <laughs> and almost like an AI wrote the movie. Yeah, it, it's hard to do computers as villains, you know, because. They are cold, emotionless, logical, calculating machines. And it's it's hard to give a damn about the computer winning. I mean, you just don't want it to win because it'll blow up the world or whatever. You can't get invested in that. So they threw in, uh, like, the computer has henchmen <laughs> that, that, like, work for the computer. Yeah. And I was like, I, I like how much they're leaning into the weird sci-fi-ness of this but they didn't go full Merlin with it either. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't like iRobot. 
And right. All of a sudden, <laughs> like if they had ripped off that guy's face and it turned out he was like an android underneath, I would have been like, all right, you lost me. But they didn't do that. You know, no. like, what's his deal? He's just a loon, you know, he's that... just a crazy, he's just a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and he... like you no know, devoted to the chaos or the, the anarchy that the, that the machine can, right. can cause. The, the machine knows so much and it calculates so much that it makes him feel powerful to know all the information. Yeah. See, that is a good idea. I kind of wanted them to do that more. I mean, they might, they didn't in this one. They yeah, they need to like... do more of that here, I think, because like that gives him the confidence that he has. Like you kind of see it, like at the end of the movie, when like, he says, "Like I, the the key will be placed at my feet, nothing is going to harm me." And then he has the fight on the train, and he jumps off the train onto that truck that's waiting for him. Like that right. stuff, like that more of that stuff needed to happen sooner. It needed to be more clear that like things in the real world were happening because of the machine as as opposed to you know the fact that the um the computer is erasing his his digital footprint as he moves in front of cameras like that that could be done by a hacker but what is more implausible and therefore more interesting is like the truck being there for him to chip off the train Right. Like that's the like the end of such an incredible calculation and series of, of events that um, uh, that it, it it would really sort of like push oh this is what the machine can do so like I really don't get a full sense of its abilities you know in any real meaningful way like when Benji has to lie or like tries to lie to the bomb. And they, it can tell it's lying. Like, oh, okay, fine. Like, that's that's that that's dumb. But like, setting up just just, just the truck alone. Like, I keep I keep coming back to the, this one thing: having a guy drive a truck with soft things on it so he could be there when he jumps off the moving train at, at eighty miles an hour. That's impressive. <laughs> like, it's more impressive than like the fake bomb. Right. So, like, do like, more shit like that that makes it look like he's a god. Right. There, Which would fuel his god it. complex. There was some of that, but not a lot. But like, not a lot. Yeah. So, like, that's the kind of stuff you needed to work on was building that character up because otherwise, like, I don't care about that character and I don't care about Hunt's relationship to him because all they're doing is explaining either in words or in flashback who he is. Yeah. Um. But I I did like that, and they they don't give you an explanation as to what the machine is doing. No. Like they don't they don't give you they don't say why. Like it's not like you know, in all these things, when the, when the machine becomes self-aware, the first thing it always decides to do is obliterate everybody. <laughs> like, we have to kill people. We have to just, you know, send, like think of Terminator. Like, the first thing Skynet does is try to murder every human on the planet or the Matrix or whatever. And it's obviously not doing that here. But we don't know what it's doing or why it went rogue or what any of those things. It only becomes about what the people do around it. What if you had a magic weapon that could predict and manipulate the truth? What would you do with it? So like when you see them on the train and you see the Americans are trying to buy the machine, like the key, it's supposed to be this big shocking reveal. Oh my gosh, not even the Americans would do this. When like, yeah, they were stressing that in one of the many monologues (laughs) that everyone would want this thing. Yeah. Right. And it's supposed to be that 
Ethan is unusual in that he wouldn't. Right. Him him and the black cop, <laughs> whose name I don't even know, he has that one conversation with his partner where he's like, what would you do if you could control a machine like that? And he goes, nothing. I'd hand it over to my superiors. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like the one ring or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so you don't get an explanation as to what the entity is doing, but... And that was fine. Like I didn't, I didn't need to hear some whole spiel about like why humanity should be removed from the equation. I was like, have we been there already? Don't don't make it Terminator, right? Yeah, don't don't make it Skynet. And I and I think that that was a very smart choice as to like defining that character by simply not defining it by talking about what it can do and not what it will do. Right. Because what that does is it, is it allows the audience to insert into their own heads the worst case scenario also by the way very prescient that it's basically creating fake news so you have ai and fake news and it's like the things that we are most afraid of right now as a as a culture because we've got nothing else to worry about it seems (laughs) so yeah like there was the great scene where he's chasing after the bad guy and the computer takes over um Benji's computer and like starts talking to him in yeah. Benji's voice and it's like yeah they're they're just deep faking like we have that now yeah these are all like they they were very you know probable things that we like things we already have just like the next version of them and right. I thought that was a, a kind of a cool choice I I felt that like the the, the jumping off point for it was awkward and vague and you know where it came from was sort of ham-fistedly delivered by everybody involved and i like i really think carrie elways doesn't do the movie any favors i like i you know there the there are some things that a bad actor can really kind of ruin i think he kind of ruined like the reveal of this like that he's supposed to be you know like the information can just be clunkily plonked down in front of you and that's what he did and it kind of made it more harder to understand and took away some of the you know it distracted you from the impressive things that 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 were happening with the writing yeah so what did you think of the the big action piece you know i'd seen it in the commercial so many times it um lost a bit of uh zing yeah i thought so too like the, you didn't did did you see it? Yeah, they, yeah. They, they showed you him jumping off the thing. Right? Yeah, they show you. They show him the, jumping the, off the cliff. The, the one shot where he comes up to, comes up to the edge and then turns the bike and stops. So you get a sense of the height of the uh, <laughs> of the Alps, and <laughs> um, they're pretty big. And uh, and then the one where yeah, the one where he jumps. Like I don't know. Did they? I think they showed you the Burj Khalifa bit a little bit. But the Burj Khalifa thing was also clever. Like he had the gloves, he lost the glove. Yeah, this was just a stunt. Yeah, and like the thing in the... Like they they did talk about the... The the halo jump quite a bit before that movie came out. And they kind of did like a behind the scenes about that, but the sequence also lasted a long time and there was also action that happened in it. Mm-hmm. Like him and, and uh, Henry Cavill falling and like getting zonked out with the lightning and then having to reset their whole thing and 
you know, like there was like uh, there was bits that went on here, like like uh, there that made it part of like a a larger little story. And then in what is it? The show uh, Rogue Nation, whatever. What's the fifth one called again? Um, is it Rogue Nation? No, I, yeah, Rogue Nation's the fifth one. Yeah, that was the 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 plane thing, right? Right, he was hanging out the outside of the plane. Right, that was just a stunt too. But that also, but I don't, I don't recall them making a big deal about it. I I remember them saying he's going to hang out of a plane. Yeah, but it happened and like, like <laughs> right away in the beginning of the story. Yeah, and so like you didn't have time to like wait for it, like build the. Like the whole thing, it just they kind of went for it right right out of the gate, which was fine. It was fine. It was simple, and it and like there was enough going on in that film as, as it was. Um, but this one, I don't know. I was underwhelmed, which feels stupid because it's still an impressive thing. But it was just a stunt. Like he just jumped off the plane, off the thing, jumped off the bike, and parachuted. I mean, the interesting thing, and I kind of saw it coming, was was when when he landed in the train. Oh, killed, yeah. killed that guy. I'm like, oh, guy. he's gonna hit that guy right now. Boom. Okay, there he goes. Uh, I'd forgotten about him at that point because it had it had been a while since he'd been in in the scene, mm. and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. He's he's supposed to be on the train. Yeah, <laughs> he hits that guy. Okay, so well, that segues into my my biggest problem, and it's been the problem since who's the director, Christopher McQuarrie. So Brad Bird did fourth one, did and the then McQuarrie took one. over for the for the last uh, three. Yeah, they have been um, morosely unfunny since then. They have. Yeah, no, I've, the, I've looked fourth at was these funny. films. The fourth one was funny. The first one was funny. There, there was a, I don't want to say camp because the first one with Brian De Palma was was a excellent film, but it it had its moments of like this is a little unbelievable. Okay, these people are over like they're very talented, but they're also, you know, not exactly realistic. And that's part of the fun. It's fun to watch them pull the mask off their face. It's it's fun to watch them use silly gadgets no one else has. You know, like the gum that's really a bomb. Like it's a it was a bond spin-off to begin with. Yeah. Even the TV show was like that. But by the time they did the fifth, sixth, and you now this one. Like they just drained the fun and creativity out of the films. They even took on this like dark, bleak looking image. Everything is kind of gray and blue, you know, washed out. So that when they go off and do things, there's no there's no excitement to that. There's no joy to any of the things that you're watching. It's fun to watch him do these ridiculous stunts. But him climbing that building in the fourth one or hanging from the wires in the in the first one is is clever and quirky and there's there's things happening that force him to adjust you know like you're right like he's climbing with the gloves and then the one glove doesn't work yeah now what do you do <laughs> you know <laughs> versus just i'm going to jump off this mountain and open up a parachute and hope i hit the train but like he doesn't say like my tire blew a wheel or my parachute's only opening for it won't open on time. Like there was the danger is to Tom Cruise, not to Ethan Hunt. Right. Yeah. Which is a big distinction. So and that carries throughout all the films. So like especially in this one, when they tried to be funny, 
like when he gets that guy, he just bursts into the train, still attached to his parachute and kicks that guy out the train. In my brain, I'm like, I was sitting there like, I know I'm supposed to laugh at that, but it's so jarring that I'm not laughing. Yeah. It was just like, oh, that happened. I tell you what I do find funny and what I enjoy about Tom Cruise, I think despite itself, is this like the character that he's created has really changed over the course of these, you know, almost 30 years. (laughs) Um, In that like he was really not funny in the first movie either. It was it was it was a very serious. It was a very dark movie. Um, There were a couple of funny lines but not a lot. That like that was a pretty serious film. Um, it it goes off the rail in the next movie. They you know it's over dramatic with, f- with the slow motion every five seconds. Thank and, you, John Woo. Yeah, John Woo. Yeah, and then I think there's there's funny bits in three. Three is an underrated version. There's really funny bits in four, and then like the character begins to morph into somebody who's like he he's both very confident and very trying to give you the impression of spontaneity like he's i don't know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make it up as i go along and he's somewhat surprised by his own success at times which is ironic considering that he's the hero but like he you know he's kind of trying to have it both ways he's trying to be superman and at the same time he's trying to be shocked at his own success and that can be charming because, you know, I I find Tom Cruise to watch in interviews very uncomfortable. He doesn't really seem like normal. He seems like a really of all of all the people in, in, in Hollywood who are weird. I think he's the weirdest because it's like he's doing an impression, an impression of a person whenever he's on on film. And like, I can't imagine what he is like behind closed doors i have an idea of you know based on how i know human beings to behave and how i've and and like when i watch celebrities on tv i got a pretty good idea how they act in private you know you just people are still people he's the only person who i'm not sure is, is 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 still people like he's just so weird and that makes him i think a very good actor and since he 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 can you know he, he can portray a lot of different stuff on film, but it also like I I, I both I'm both you know I, I find it both endearing and 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 sort of uncomfortable like it's an uncanny valley <laughs> for a good so like I think the humor that they're trying to fun to, to use here is that is the kind of shock at the success and the oh hoy hang on I hope this this is so crazy it just might work kind of a thing and um it, but it's fighting the intensity of whatever he's doing which is always like like it can't that's the problem when you make seven and uh, you know almost eight of these movies is that you you have to top yourself every time <laughs> and you can't do that with funny you, you can't make you can't make it funnier on purpose like it's just it's, it's either funny or it's not well i mean the, he's not supposed to be funny but i it, laugh at him right well the situations are funny yeah you know and like you're right, there wasn't too much of that in the first one, but he did have a personality. He smiled, he laughed. You know, he, he cared about the people on his team. Well, he he also wasn't a Superman in that first movie. He was very good at what he did and he was very smart. But, you know, 
he he was a character. He was a person who had experienced a tragedy and was being blamed for that tragedy. And he was out for revenge and to clear his name and to get back at the person who did it. And they have the wonderful reveal at the end of the movie. Um, like, that's a story. His character doesn't have stories anymore. has missions. And, like, that's... That that's a big difference, and so when when you when you don't have a a character to play, he's just Tom Cruise. Like, but know. I mean, it's like he's so grim, you know. And he and even yeah, I, what, what's the Scottish guy's name? Simon Pegg. Like, Simon Pegg. Even Simon Pegg, who's supposed to be the comic relief. Yeah, he he's he's, he's getting more grim. more serious. He's getting more and more serious. You know, and like. Yeah. And that's what it worked against it when they were talking to Haley Atwell and they were like, we all chose this. We're all friends, but we don't have any other lives beyond this. And like, you're supposed to feel sorry for them at that point. And I was like, I thought you wanted to be here. I thought you thought this was fun that you feel like you're doing something worthwhile with your life by helping people do it. Do you know, it, it takes certain kind of people to do this kind of work. You know, we always joke about James Bond. He laughs. He womanizes because it's a way of dealing with it, coping. But he wants See, to be it's there. A coping mechanism. Yeah, he's yeah, still he, gr- he wants to be there. You know, and like that's why the fourth one I think is one of the best because, as goofy as the situations are, you laugh at their inventiveness and you marvel at their ability to overcome odds when the plans don't work correctly. Yeah, you know, you you admire their determination. Whereas this is like this, just this grim slog. Like we need this thing because we need it. And I'm like, all right, man, it sounds important. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. And that's it's the last few were like that too, where I was like, I'm enjoying this as I'm watching it. It's a good enough action movie, but they don't stick in the brain the way the the first few did because no. they they're not they stop being people I can relate to, you know. Yeah, I mean, like the first one, the first movie of the series is in my top ten. Oh, it's really good. It's you know, it's just, it's a really good. First one is a very good, so good. I told you about that Amazon Prime Day thing, right? Yeah, it was like all six movies you for could, like twenty bucks. <laughs> well, you could get you could get all six for sixty, and I guess nobody bought it. So like, because I was like, yeah, that's not a bad deal. And then two days later, after Prime Day had ended, it was down to twenty dollars for all six movies, and I was like. Boom! Sign me up. It's coming next week. Like, <laughs> you know, because the first one and the third one, you're right, and the fourth one are fantastic. Yeah, no, the other ones are a good time at the movies, and then the second one is there. Yeah, so. I mean, there's, I mean, I think the first one has the most la- the most staying power of all of them. But like it, that like that's a movie that I will watch if it's on TV. That's become oh, yeah. like my only metric now for figuring out if something is really great is like. Like The Godfather, if you know, will I watch it if it's just on television? And the answer is yes. You know, yeah. like that, that that I will do. I won't do that one with, you know, I I probably won't do that with, uh, you know, three and four, even though, even though they were good. But like, you know, you get one movie that that'll you know that I, that I can put in the same conversation as like Jaws and The Godfather and you know The Shawshank Redemption. Then you're in good company. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But even that one had the craziness. I mean. They were on the bullet train at the end of that movie, and a helicopter flies into the tunnel with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, the, the 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 white room scene was one of the most creative things I had ever seen to that point. Oh, and, yeah, you know, like a movie, like or rather a scene of pure tension. I remember being in the theater 
we were on vacation in Cape Cod, and you, and me, and Dad <laughs> went to go see this movie. And um, what was amazing to me about that scene was it was so bright that you could see the audience so clearly, and that was an unusual thing. Like you know, you 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 would feel the tension that you were experiencing watching the actor, but also you were aware of the tension of all the people in the room not doing a lot of breathing. We were all kind of holding our breath there. And there's, you know, there's that thing when you go to see a movie, like a comedy, you're going to laugh more if other people laugh. That's just how laughter works. That's how the human brain functions. But you don't really get, you know, much opportunity to, um, to do that with, uh, you know, with scenes of tension, you know, like we all laugh at things at the same time, but we're never, we're never always so aware of when, you know, our fellow, you know, you know, moviegoers are as tense as we are. Mm. So, but, um, um, yeah, that, that I think was the ultimate where it was like, I wish this was more fun. Yeah. You know, I think that they, that they assume that action is fun. And it can be fun, but it's not—it's not as engaging as you know the clever kind of action that you find in other movies. Things that are tied to character, you know, and like you know, really show the the, the character thinking. Like the—I uh, I, I forgot about the the underwater sequence uh, sequence in five where he's holding his breath for six minutes. Like, okay, yeah, but like he's just holding his breath. Like it's like that's that's hard, and yeah, he gets not you know he, the the plan goes awry, and it's a shot in the dark. Did we actually get the sw- switch out the chip with the right one? Kind of a thing, right? Like he's he's not changing in these scenes. No, you know it's um it, Haley Atwell's character is the one that undergoes all the the internal change. You know, so yeah. it's like, and she doesn't go through any of the the stunts and things like that. So you're like. You're watching Tom Cruise, and it switches over to her, and yada yada yada. Mm. Anyway, I'm really tired today. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that Ilsa Faust is still alive? Uh, is is that the blonde the blonde girl with the the British chick? Oh, no she she got stabbed, didn't she? I guess so, but like oh, the whole, you mean the whole film, be- really? yeah, the, the whole the whole film begins with her being be, be like, oh. like pretending to be dead. Yeah, I don't know. I that don't would know. be annoying. It would be. I do like her character a lot, most because I I have appreciated in these films more than in any other I've seen the the differences between fight choreography of the female um, actor. Because like yeah. she she weighs ninety eight pounds. How in the world is she gonna be able to take down a guy who's like two twenty? You know, it's just not mm-hmm. gonna happen. So like the fact that her style of fighting is uses like leverage and balance over just like punching a guy in the face is you know it's not perfect, but it's much more interesting than most of the things that I see. Yeah, so. that's true. But um, I mean, I'll go see the next one. Yeah, you know, round it out. So, but All right. anything else? I enjoy how Ving Rhames never has to do anything. Nope, <laughs> <laughs> poor guy's too too old and too heavy to move around all that much. So yeah. like, like I'm gonna walking. be the man in the chair. 
Yeah, they had him walk for like three steps. I was like, wow, they got him out of a chair. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I noticed in the other movies too. Like he's always just sitting there. I'm just like, sitting I couldn't get him to do anything. Nope. Mm. That'll be ten million dollars, please. <laughs> yeah, so. Basically. All right. Well, if you guys have any thoughts about uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, what does that mean, by the way? Do you know? Dead I think Reckoning? the idea was the sub was doing it that like no one knew where they were. They weren't broadcasting their signal to anyone, uh-huh. so that they were completely hidden. And I, I guess that's supposed to be like them, like the like the machine. Like you, you don't know what's there, and you don't know where it's going. Uh huh. Okay. Sure. I guess. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. If you have any thoughts about Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part Uno, please let us know on Twitter and or Instagram and or Facebook and or Threads. Uh, you can also email us if you're old at three drinks in podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe, buy merchandise over at T Public. Anything else? Uh, no, that's it. All right, as always, please drink responsibly. We'll talk to you all next time. Yep, bye-bye. bye bye. Bye.